0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Dr. Baj Mukupadhyay. The People's Health Movement is a global network of medical professionals, academics, activists, and organizations that first came together at a meeting in Bangladesh in 2000. Initially, their focus was on the failure of global health-related institutions to meet the needs of people in many parts of the world for basic primary health care. That has since broadened to include a recognition of the roots of that failure, and of many other circumstances that are detrimental to health, and the dynamics of global capitalism. And chapters around the world engage in diverse efforts to create change flowing from that recognition. There were Canadians involved from the start, but it is only in the last three years that the Canadian component of the people's health movement has begun to grow and get more active in a concerted way. In particular, the Canadian group has been very involved in responding to the health implications of extractive industries, such as mining, both in the Canadian context and in solidarity with popular movements struggling against Canadian companies around the world. More recently, they have also been laying groundwork to more effectively take up the connections between colonization and health, as well as touching on a wide range of other issues. Baj Mukupadai is a physician who is based in Montreal but primarily practices in both First Nations and in settler communities organized around extractive industries in Northern Ontario and Northern Quebec. He's also a core organizer in the People's Health Movement Network in the Canadian context. He speaks with me about the origins of the people's health movement, both globally and in this country, about the network's activities in recent years around health and resource extraction and health and colonialism, about the strengths and limits of mobilizing health discourse in the service of social change, and about the group's next steps. We spoke by Skype from Montreal. My name is Baj
1: Thai. I am a family doctor who works in Northern Ontario and Northern Quebec. I live mainly in Montreal, but spend most of my time up north. I am a settler, an immigrant to this country for about 20 years now. I do work in a range of communities in the north, ranging from indigenous communities, small isolated communities in the north, and resource towns like mining towns in northern Ontario as well. So my clinical practice is very based in those sorts of realities, and so I'm very aware of the social, economic, and political contexts that have an impact on people's health in the North. And I'm also, in the rest of my life, very involved in a variety of other initiatives, namely one of them being the People's Health Movement. The People's Health Movement is a network, a global network, of health justice activists who work on a variety of campaigns across the world The movement is loosely affiliated under a global structure, but regional and country circles have a lot of autonomy in addressing issues in their own context, but all kind of under the rubric of addressing the structural determinants that affect people's health, particularly the way the global economy is currently structured. So the Canadian chapter in which I'm mostly involved is fairly new and growing. I mean, it's been more or less active since the People's Health Movement was founded in 2000. But it's only in the last, I'd say, two or three years that our capacity has been slowly growing. We're completely volunteer-run. There's no head office. Nobody gets paid doing this work. Everybody involved has a day job and is involved in many, many other activists and organizing campaigns. So we have fairly limited capacity. We're kind of stretched in trying to address the whole range of people's health issues across the country we've become quite involved in issues around mining and health, or extractive industries and health more accurately. But we're also interested in issues around colonialism and health, access to healthcare services as a determinant of health, and also very much involved in issues like climate change and trade and free trade and health. I came to medicine later in life I did a lot of community work in Montreal and abroad in my early 20s, and I only went to medical school in my late 20s. And I went to medical school with the clear sense that I was going to be using it as a tool and I wanted to keep myself grounded in community struggles first and foremost and extract from medical school the very specific tools I wanted to be able to be what I felt was more useful and effective in community movements. And I think it was very specific to the person and personality I am where I thought that, you know, there's so many roles and there's so much work to do in movements in general and I was very aware of my limitations and my incapacities to do certain sorts of work. And so I thought medicine was probably one where I felt a little bit more effective and a little bit more at ease and more within my comfort zone and kind of doing political work, which is odd because medicine really isn't very political. But what I think what really feeds me in doing medicine is the one on one and how deeply honoring it is to get such deep access to people's lives. But that deep access also, I feel, comes with a greater responsibility about knowing exactly the kind of really intimate, nitty-gritty details of how current social, political, and economic structures have an impact on people's lives. And so I'm on this constant quest, which I don't think I've really ever figured out, or I don't know if I'm ever going to figure out, to try and make clinical work political work. But whenever I am at work in a hospital or a clinic or an emergency room or wherever I happen to be doing clinical work, I'm constantly in my own head trying to make the links about, okay, this is how the way we live today or the way we structure the world today has an impact on this person's life. And there's work to be done at the level of working with this person to address those structural issues that are having an impact on their health, but also how to connect this story or their story to other stories and to break out of the isolation that illness can sometimes bring and to show that there is patterns. You know, you're not the only person who has this illness because of these factors in the environment or these factors in the way the economy works. In medical schools nowadays, they do teach more and more that people's individual physiology and biochemistry, they really account for what, maybe 20% of their health condition? 80% of what you see in an emergency room, for instance, was determined far, far before anything went wrong with someone's biochemistry or physiology. Health is really something that is shaped by people's access to food, access to clean water, access to clean air, their working conditions, their ability to live without fear, how secure they feel in their private life, and their intimate life, how much their emotional needs are met. You know, everything except what we can fix in an emergency room or in a clinic is what determines people's health. And I think medicine provides doctors a very particular set of tools to intervene in certain ways. And because that's what we're trained to do, that's what we see as the major problem. But I think those blinders actually kind of obscure our capacity to understand or analyze what's happening outside of what we're trained to deal with. And since 80% of, say, a person's health is beyond what we can actually intervene in, the healthcare system's not very good at addressing those needs. I think it's slowly, creakingly becoming better at addressing those issues. But for decades, it's not been very good at dealing with those issues. And so I think, especially in North America, we've had a kind of a lost few decades of really understanding what health is. And to understand health is not just technical, high-resource interventions on molecular levels or on cellular levels. I mean, some of the technology for people who are science geeks is actually Amazing and actually really interesting and very compelling, but for the amount of resources we put into them, do they really have that impact on health on the whole? That's probably more of what people are arguing. And so the structural determinants of health are all those things about how we arrange a society in general that ends up having an impact on people's health. And that can range from the way and this is probably what I see a lot of, and it's what I think about a lot, is the way gender relations and patriarchy have an impact on people's health, particularly women's health, or the way the decline in union strength has an impact on people's health. Those things have real consequences in the clinic or the emergency room or the hospital ward. Sometimes it's hard to join the dots and make the links, but I think if we don't address them, we're actually missing out on, as they say, 80% of the stories.
0: Tell me what you know about the origins of the People's Health Movement, both globally and in the Canadian context.
1: I wasn't involved at the very beginning. What I do know of the history is that it started in 2000 at a meeting in Bangladesh. And it was a collection of civil society organizations, academics, activists who came together to really confront the fact that the global economic system and the governance systems we have that tackle global health issues were really at a point of failing. And that despite decades of promises and investments, there hasn't been the kind of radical shift in people's health status, as you would expect with the amount of talk there has been about it. And the People's Health Movement specifically pointed to the failures of investment in primary care as the initial point of its analysis, that the lack of comprehensive, accessible primary care, universal primary care, was probably one of the biggest failings in the global health system, and then made that link that that major failing was the way the kind of logic of global capitalism and the way the global economic system is going that led to those failures in the development of a primary health care system. And so that was the initial root of the People's Health Movement. There were Canadians involved from the very beginning, but it's only been in the last couple of years that we've really moved and shifted towards growing in Canada. And I think the major push that happened was in 2012 when there was the third People's Health Assembly. So the People's Health Movement works in numerous different ways that we can talk about. But one of the things it does is every few years, it does what's called a People's Health Assembly, so that's like a global meeting of all the like, activists and organizations and academics who are kind of involved. And this one happened in South Africa, just outside of Cape Town, in 2012. And I happened to be there, and that was when a lot of the stuff that we are beginning to work on started to coalesce. And the main thing that triggered the forward movement was the work around extractive industries. And a lot of the work came from Latin America, the Latin American people's Health Movement is extremely well organized and probably one of the strongest regional chapters that we have within the people's health movement and in Latin America, they were dealing with the consequences of this rampant extractivist model of running an economy, and they were really pushing that extractive industries be taken seriously as a health issue and given Canada's role in the global extractive industry, it kind of fell to the Canadians there to say, well, this is sort of your baby, so you should probably get your act together and get involved. And so that was probably one of the major pushes we had to get going on this issue. And to be fair, for the first time in a long time, the People's Health Movement in Canada gathered at a meeting the year prior in 2011 at a conference in Montreal, and the very few people who were there had already started mentioning, as we we're trying to get stronger and as we're starting to build the extractive industry or mining issue might be something we can really sink our teeth into. And we were looking at it specifically from people's health perspective, understanding health in a very broad way, but recognizing that, you know, there's a lot of excellent work that's done around extractive industries, both in Canada and abroad. But that perhaps one of the things we could be doing is developing a critique of extractive industries from a popular health perspective or people's health perspective. And also support or work in solidarity with communities to start to develop a health lens in their own sorts of work around extractive industries, whether they're negotiating with an extractive company or whether they're completely rejecting a proposed extractive project, how they could use health and language around health to mobilize around their needs or their demands. We built first a kind of global network, a list of people who are interested in extractive industries and health. And that really hasn't been very active. People are working on these major campaigns and issues in their own local context, but it's been quite unclear about how a very scattered group of people who are very interested in the issue and happy to be involved, but how they can actually support very local campaigns on a concrete level. What has worked a little bit better is that we have a kind of local list, a kind of Canada wide network of people who are interested in health and extractive industries. We did a couple of workshops at the People's Social Forum in Ottawa last year, and that really brought together people across the country who are working on using the health lens to resist extractivism or critique extractivist projects. We did two workshops, and one of them was specifically related to extractive industries, We partnered with Mining Watch for that, and we had three case studies of communities that were struggling with an extractive industry, three sessions of kind of problem-solving, and we workshopped strategies how the communities might use health as a lens to meet their demands. And that was where we actually met a lot of people and shared a lot of ideas, and that was probably one of the key moments for us in understanding the range and the extent of the work that remains to be done. It's always very slow when there's very few resources available, but I think we're making slow and steady steps. I tend to have a very long view around organizing. A lot of it is very slow, careful relationship building that you do, and that can take years to bear fruit. So I'm not expecting miracles just yet, but as a result, as building our capacity around that, we started to get involved in other things, and we've started to organize and arrange more events and initiatives as a result as well. We are trying to support communities that are struggling with uranium as an issue. That's been a major one we've been working on over the last few months and tackling the huge problems with the way epidemiology works as a tool for
0: communities. And epidemiology is the study of patterns, causes and effects of health and disease at the population level
1: because it doesn't really help communities at large, because it tends to erase very local effects. Epidemiology is the science of a lot of averages, and so extremes might get washed out in the data. And so working with communities that had to build enough of a robust analysis of their own health and finding a way to communicate that to the powers that be has been something that we've started to work with and started to figure out. And we're certainly not alone in doing this. There's been a lot of really good work around this sort of stuff. But it's been a very interesting intellectual challenge and an organizing challenge to really try to make it work. And I think what we're struggling with is the lack of capacity on the ground in a lot of the communities that are struggling with this issue, and the mismatch between where the resources are, where the university resources are, where a lot of this work might be able to happen, where a critical mass of activists might be, and where the problems actually are. The internet helps a lot to connect us to very remote, isolated communities in many ways. But to actually do the day-to-day relationship building on the ground, face-to-face, that organizing requires and trust-building requires, that's been something we're still trying to figure out. It'll probably take another few years for us to do it well. The probably next major thing we're going to be doing, we're preparing right now for the World Social Forum in Montreal next year. And we are probably going to be convening a pretty large group of people who are interested in health and extractive industries there. And we've already started to work on that to figure out, you know, what sorts of activities and workshops might be useful for people. And, you know, different members amongst us have also been involved in very local efforts as well, as scattered as we are across the country. So that's some of the stuff we've done
0: and at least some of what we're planning into the future. Tell me more about your more recent work around colonialism and health, which I'd imagine must intersect pretty tightly with the extractivism and health stuff.
1: That work is still something that we're figuring out how to do. It's very much related to the fact that environmental racism and colonialism are probably a major part of the extractivist model of developing economies. And I think that's where a lot of the questions we've been struggling with have been come from, as you say, that it's been related to extractivism. And for me personally, the connection between that sort of reality and the realities I see as a physician, the clinical outcomes I see that happen for indigenous communities across the regions where I work, I've been really pushing to see if we can develop this sort of analysis. The health outcomes from colonialism, I think we're all aware that Indigenous health outcomes in Canada are probably the number one public health issue in the country that we've stuck our head in the sand about. And I think, especially in the last little while, there's been increasing mobilization and organizing around it. But to find a really coherent kind of framework to work with communities to address those issues, I think, has been lacking, I think, until this summer. And I think the TRC
0: report... And that is the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was a response to the terrible legacy of residential schools in Canada.
1: The TRC report gives us a little bit of a framework to engage with this issue a little bit better. Of the 94 recommendations, seven were explicitly related to health in a very broad understanding of it. So I think that gives us a certain amount of framework to engage with the issues a little bit more. And the TRC report, for instance, was also brought up at the Canadian Medical Association General Assembly last month. And that's really quite unusual for the CMA, which sometimes is quite a conservative organization, to actually address it. So I think it gives enough people enough of language for relations to be built around it. And, you know, it's imperfect, as many frameworks are, but I think it gives something that people can really sink their teeth into. Like I said, seven of the 94 recommendations were explicitly related to health, but I think every single recommendation, if you speak to healthcare professionals or people who are engaged in health in Indigenous communities, you could argue that all 94 have a direct impact on the health of communities that we work with. So developing that framework and developing those relationships, which have started, I think, really coming together in the last few months, I think would probably be our next priority. And I think over the coming months, we're going to see where it goes. The People's Health Movement does what we call International People's Health Universities. And those are popular education sessions around an issue related to health or health politics. And I'm hoping that we can do a session like that, a mini one like that, around that in the next year or so. We did do one in 2012 around race and health, and it was held in Saskatoon. It was really interesting because it was a day-long session where we were really asking people to unpack the way race and racism had an impact on, very specifically, access to health care services, which is one determinant of health. And it being in this context of Saskatchewan, we divided into four groups, and three of the groups were directly related to Indigenous health issues, and one group was for recent immigrant health issues. There was a lot of rich detail that came out of that, and it was very focused on what are potential campaigns. It was kind of an activist training school to train people how to build campaigns around race and health. But people really wished there had been more time to reflect and kind of work through the issues. And I think we've always kind of looked longly at that session and said, you know, it'd be really great if we could build in time or find the time to make that more reflective session happen. And I think this is a good time just because of the context to have that session and to reflect, okay, like if we are really going to act on this issue, what exactly is the best way to move forward? And as indigenous healthcare professionals and patients lead the charge, what is the role for people like me who are settlers within the healthcare system to support that work? So I'm hoping in the next year we'll be able to have that follow-up session. I'm really looking forward to the way the conversations that have started since the TRC report, seeing where they go.
0: What have your experiences been like of interacting with other physicians and other people who work in the health system when it comes to this kind of politicized vision of health and of achieving health?
1: Increasingly, there's more and more physicians who understand it, especially a newer generation of physician. And I think other healthcare professions have sometimes often been better at this work than doctors have for a long, long time. Nurses in particular have been very good at understanding health as something bigger than just what happens in a hospital. So I think it's not difficult to find people who are sympathetic to that worldview. I think the challenge always is for a lot of people, what is it that you actually do? I think that's something that physicians often struggle with. What I would say, though, is that one thing physicians are not very good at doing is actually asking other people for help, because medical training somehow inculcates this aura of, well, you're a doctor, so you must know how to do everything. And I think the truth is that we're actually very bad at doing most things. And there's just one or two things we're actually good at doing. And I think asking for help from people outside of the field is something that I think we should be doing more of to help us think through what is the best way to engage in this work. And the number one people I'd asked is the patients, you know, the people who you work with most often to tell us how medicine or the healthcare system needs to change to address their needs better. And so that connection between medicine and popular mobilization or community based movements is something that I'm very interested in building so expanding that conversation and inviting others from very different perspectives especially people whose knowledge and expertise we've traditionally undervalued i think that would be a really good step for us to start doing but i think the other thing that doctors could do is help community movements mobilize health as a discourse in their own movements i think because health can be a very powerful lens you can get people really emotionally involved and it get, makes people quite passionate so Doctors could also see themselves as of service to community movements by bringing a little bit more of a health analysis to a whole range of movements. Doctors or healthcare professionals might not be very good at that because they're not very good at thinking themselves as serving someone else's agenda. But I think a little bit of that humility would probably go a long way in helping us get some of this work done.
0: So you've just mentioned some of the strengths of mobilizing health discourse in the service of popular struggles. Do you see any limitations or any pitfalls in mobilizing health discourse or health frames to talk about issues that could be talked about in other ways? Medicalization of anything is a
1: huge problem. I think it expands the power of the health professions over daily life in a way that's not very healthy. I think there's a lot of issues that are medicalized now, which really shouldn't be under the purview of doctors or the healthcare professions at all. And so there are definitely pitfalls. And I think it's something that you should mobilize very cautiously. But I also know that communities that are wanting to use health such as those who are struggling with extractive industries, often find the language that's used around health quite technical, quite intimidating, quite aloof. Health is something that seems to happen within large, obscure black box institutions somewhere else. And it's quite intimidating for people who want to be able to understand their problems through this lens to engage with that. And so I do think it's very much a two-way street. I think if communities want to mobilize using health, I think there's a responsibility on the part of people who do have a little bit of knowledge of that language and discourse to collaborate and to really, I mean, honestly, I feel a lot of the mystique and power that's given to health professions is very much manufactured and part of a professional plan to retain power. And so I think there is a duty on the part of people who are involved in those professions to mobilize that language and to share that language and to show that it isn't actually all that intimidating at all. But I also think, as you alluded to, it's very, very problematic for healthcare professionals, and it's usually doctors, to wander into any sort of community movement and say, hey, you need to use health because that also ends up giving more power to these institutions and professions, which already have a huge amount of power. And I think you have to be very careful about that, for sure.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Dr. Baj Mukhopadhyay. He is a physician, and he is centrally involved in the Canadian chapter of the People's Health Movement. To find out more about the People's Health Movement as a whole, go to phmovement.org. That's phmovement.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter.